This is, a, I guess, a, a rhetorical question, but I want you to think about this for a second. Is there anything in your life where you, at any one instance, have said, if I could have one more of this, this would solve all of these problems? So maybe it's a, it is a, um, let's make it a financial thing. So it's like, if I could just have a little bit more money, I would be able to do this, this, or this, and everything would be okay. If I could, if I could just have a little bit more time, maybe it's like kind of a fake one. If there was another hour in a day, I could get more in place. Or if I, if I had a few more relationships, then I'd feel this. And, and you, you find yourself reaching for that, that, that next thing. Is this, has, has your mind ever been there where you've thought this about something where if I could just have a little bit more? And maybe not that any of that more is bad in and of itself, but you've just, you desire to have more. Kind of like you're, you're reaching for something. And maybe, maybe it's, 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 it's a, a biblical thing or a sending of, of understanding or scripture or, or your, your walk with God. You're like, if I could just, if I could just grasp this, this one extra thing, like I feel like everything kind of makes sense, but there's this, this one area and I just, I can't, I can't seem to grab a hold of it. I can't seem to understand where it's going. And so it's, I feel like it's, it's holding, it's holding me back or I'm, I'm wrestling more than maybe I should. Um, I was doing some research on how to catch a monkey just to start, I don't actually want to catch a monkey, okay? But um, I found out that this, I thought it was a, a fake story, but it's actually true that, that monkeys, and, and certain different variances of them, whatever, you don't need to know. But the point is, is that you can actually catch a monkey sometimes by putting a piece of food or something in a, a hole that's small, just small enough for their hand to go in that when they grab it, they clench the fist and go to pull out, and they actually get stuck in that hole. And now any one of us would go, oh, well, I can't get it out, so you just let go and get out. But th- something happens in the monkey's brains where they hold on to it, and they don't want to let go. And they, so then they will actually, like, like, you'll see them trying to get out, but they never, ever, ever let go to get out of this hole. And so it's this, it's this grabbing on what, what they seem in this monkey's brain, what they see is in this jar, in this hole, is, is more valuable than the safety of their life. Right? So what they, what they grab onto is, 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 is valuable enough that they can sit there and try and pry and they're going like, to pull their arm out of the socket, but they, all they had to do was let go of what was in the hole of the jar and they could escape. But it's this, it's this moment of, of, of kind of crossing where it's like, well, what's, what's more valuable in my life or what I have in this jar? And so I, I want to I give you a little bit of a, a warning. The text we're in, we're just working our way through Matthew. The text we're in is actually talks about money today. It talks about finances. And, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about finances unashamedly because that's where the Bible takes us. But I want you to just, um, if you can, just, just set yourself in the, in the spot of, of, of a monkey, okay, <laughs> when it comes to your finances. What, what are you grabbing on here? And I, I think what's, what's interesting is, is the text actually has a little to do with finances, to do with our heart with God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up and the usher will get one for you. Chapter 19, verse 16, and, and we see this account as well. There's, there's some argument between scholars as to whether or not this is a parable as opposed to it being an actual, like, an actual story in history. Both, um, we see it here, we see it in Mark 10 and Luke 18. So we have an account, three different accounts for it. And the reason why it's some very or wonder why it may, or say it may be a parable is because the character that's in this text isn't actually named. And so I want to talk about it. Your titles say a little bit, they call it the rich young man or the rich young ruler. Um, we, we find out from Luke that he's a ruler, most likely maybe a synagogue ruler of some, some sort. We find out from Mark that he's young and we see Matthew calling, and we find out in all three that he owns great wealth. He has much land. He has much possessions. 
And so what's interesting about this is the fact that he's not named. Now, we don't know why he's not named, and we don't understand, but, but we're pretty certain that this happened because it happened right after um, Jesus says, let the children come to me. But what's unique is, is in this day, to be rich was a rarity. So if you're rich, you're, you were well-known in your areas. So if you were wealthy, people would have known where you were because there wasn't a lot of people that were super wealthy in this setting. And then to be a ruler of some sort, whether it was a synagogue ruler, we don't know the specific like, office he held, but he was a ruler of some sort. So to be a wealthy ruler was something where you'd be well-known as well. So everyone around you would, would know who you are. But then make the, add the fact that he was young in this. So now not only is he a, a ruler, not only is he wealthy, but he's a young health, wealthy ruler. So that's, that's this, there's kind of only so many people that this could be. And so we don't know why we don't get the name. I like to, um, I like to pretend he's someone else, and I'll get there in a second. But we don't, we don't necessarily know much about him, but that he's young, he's rich, and he's a ruler. And in this day, everyone would have assumed a number of things about it. First off, if you're wealthy, the assumption to most of the Judaic culture was that you were blessed by God. That to be wealthy was God's hand on you, blessing you more and more and more. And the other thing that would have been known is that this man would have had um, a lot of people kind of catering to him. They would have, been, they would have, they would have maybe wanted to be his friend, wanted to be around him, or, or, or wanted to be influenced because, again, he had wealth. And, and wealth was one of those things that wasn't common to most of the Jews in this time. And so here's this, this setting, this rich young ruler. And, and I, I don't, we don't know exactly when it happens right after the, Jesus is talking about the children, but it's in this same time period. I like to just read into it and say that he, came, he comes up right after this conversation with the children. And the rich young ruler steps up. And so that's what we're going to pick up in verse 16. And behold, Matthew uses that often to bring attention to what's about to come. A man came up to him saying, teacher, we, we learn from the gospel of Luke and Mark that they say good teacher, okay? Uh, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What good thing must I do to have eternal life? And, and for, first off, there's, some would say that he's, when he says good teacher, that he's flattering. He's coming and saying, hey, hey, good teacher, you know, trying to flatter him to get an answer. I don't necessarily believe that that's the case here. But what he's also, will get, people will give him a lot of grief because he's asking what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Right? So we automatically, most of us today, go back, well, it's not what you do, it's who you are, and, and wrestle with this. But, but his question is, I believe, a genuine question. Again, this, this, it could be either way. But first off, look at the setting. Here's a man that's well-known well-known in the area he's around. Most every single person would have probably understood or knew who he was or knew that he was wealthy or knew that he was of some form of a ruler. So he's well-known. And he walks up into an area of children and, and in that day and age kind of underclassmen, second-class citizens like we talked about last week, right? This idea that they were less valuable and they just need to be seen and not heard. And, and he kind of steps in this. And in front of those people, in front of the disciples, in front of other people, he asks a question about eternal life as a synagogue ruler as a ruler, as someone that should understand this. So he comes up to Jesus and says, okay, teacher, what, what good thing? So we, we know that he's not saying that like it's a, just what do I need to do? He's saying, what good thing must I do? What, what is a, a good thing that I must do to have eternal life? And, and here's, here's where I think his question is, guys. He's, he, he knows it. He feels it. He feels it. And we see this as he comes further. He feels, he feels the idea of going, I, there's, there's got to be more than this. Like, there's got to be more than this. Like, I, I know I have wealth, I'm young, and I'm a ruler, and I have all these other things, but what? But, the, but there's got to be more. 
What's the, what's the one thing I have to do? And maybe he's, he's wrestling with the idea of some of the, the, the Jewish religious leaders would argue about kind of what are the right things to do of, of the commandments, and we'll get into those here in a second. But either way, his, I believe his motivation is he truly desires eternal life. He desires eternal life, and we see eternal life here. We see the disciples say saved, and we see Jesus say the kingdom of God. So ultimately, it's, it's, it's what does life with, in light of the kingdom of God look like? What, is, what does this mean? Whether it's heaven, well, they wouldn't have used the word heaven because that kind of got slowly replaced for Yahweh and God, so they wouldn't have said that. But either way, they're talking about what's to come. What is, what is, how do I become a part of what God is doing in this world? And for most every single person in this culture, they would have said, well, do these things. So it makes sense that this rich young ruler comes up and says, what must I, what good thing must I do? And so Jesus, he engages first in the, in the conversation, but, but doesn't actually answer that. First he goes into this, there's, there's, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Um, and so he's, he pulls this question like, what's good? I don't, Jesus is not saying that he isn't good, but there was this idea behind what we do is good, only God is good. And they, they thought if they did good things, and Jesus is re- again reminding all of them, no, God is who is good. The good that we have in this world is God. It's not us. It's not me. It's not you. It's, it's God alone. God is good. So why, why are you asking what good thing you can do when only God is good? And so again, Jesus is pushing, I think here he's pushing kind of into his heart. The question, like, what do you, what do you really want? What are you, what are you asking for? And obviously Jesus knows this, but he's, he's pushing into it. He says, what good? So then he just says, well, if you would enter life, if you, want, if you want this life, if you want to enter this life, then keep the commandments. Just keep the commandments. He goes to the very thing that this young man would have known. He understood these commandments. He knew what they were. He had them listed out. He probably had them memorized, Right? He had all of them, and it's so interesting what he does. Uh, this is where I feel like, although he approached Jesus with a good motivation of a heart, I feel like here's where you kind of see the tables turning of where his heart really is. Because the very first question is, oh, which ones? It's like, he's, it's like, it's, it's like Moses was like, okay, so hey, guys, I, I went up. I was with God for a while, and we had a really big tablet. So he decided to put 10 on there, but really we only need these three. Like, I mean, it's like, which ones do you really want? Like, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. And the, and the, the guy's like, oh, okay, well, which ones? Which, which, ones did, which ones do I need to keep? And now that question is steeped in what would have been a bunch of religious leaders at that time sitting around a cup of coffee arguing theology, and it would have been like, what is the greatest commandment? What is, okay, we have this list, and then we have these 613 other laws that kind of follow into this. Like, what really is like the you can't ever fail to have it? What do you need to do to make sure that you know for sure that you're in? And that's kind of where that question is steeped out of. And what's unique about this is Jesus goes to what I believe, in this guy's mind, the most attainable ones of all the, of, of all the commandments. He goes on and says, Jesus says, oh, okay, well, and Jesus said, you shall not murder. The guy's like, sweet, I haven't killed anyone. Good to go there. You shall not commit adultery. I haven't cheated on my wife. Good to go there. You shall not steal. I haven't stolen in ever. I'm good there. You shall not bear false witness. No, I don't think I've done that either. Honor your father and your mother. Still doing that. Doing good. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, yeah, I, I love people. That's cool. And I think what he does, the young ruler, is he goes across this short list where Jesus skips the first four commandments that have to deal with God. And he goes strictly, he, goes, he basically goes six, seven, eight, nine, and then five. And comes back to that. And he basically skips all of them, goes to what he did with other people. 
And again, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made, he said, I'm not here to abolish the law. But he set the standard of the commandments so much higher. It was, it was ridiculous to say, well, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't murder or have anger in your heart towards someone or hatred in your heart towards someone. Right? You shouldn't commit adultery or lust with someone in your heart. And so Jesus set that bar so much higher. So this rich young ruler was, this is where we know he's erred in his thinking. He's like, well, yeah, okay, I've done that. Good to go there, check. I got that list done. I'm good to go. In fact, he says, I've done all these things. But then right after he says that, utters the words that I think you and I all utter over and over again at different times in our life. But, th- but there's got to be more. Like, I- I've done that. I- I've-, I've done that. But I- I'm but I feel like I'm missing something. Yeah, yeah, these I've kept since I was young, is what he says. Since I was younger. I'm young now, apparently, but even younger, I was, I've kept them. I've done all these. But what do I still lack? I'm still missing something. And that is the, the, the point right there, is it. He sees it. You know, a modern-day version of this Oh, man, I, have, I go to church, I serve, I, you know what, I, I give some money, I, I like talk about Jesus around my Jesus friends, and every now and then I'm nice to this guy that's my neighbor. Like, it's, this, it's this list of doing, and you go, I feel like there's more. And it's not that any of that stuff is bad. It's not that him not actually murdering someone or actually committing adultery or any of those things is bad. But, but it's this short list of, well, this is what I've done, but but I, I still lack. I'm still, I'm still missing something. Why, why do I still feel empty? And this, is the, this is the young ruler's question. He's like, I've got people around me that tell me that I've got it. I've arrived. I'm good to go. In fact, I fast-tracked it right out of college. I was a synagogue leader, like whatever they did then, right? Like I'm, I'm there. I fast-tracked. I'm a CEO of this place. And everyone around me would say, I've arrived and I'm mature and I get it and I've done all these things that, 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 are, that our laws have established and told us to do. But what do I still lack? What am, what am I missing? And we, we lose this in, in the Gospel of Matthew, but in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says that Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus felt compassion on him. So Jesus was moved to a spot where he saw that this guy's heart it was, he wanted so badly, he didn't get it. He's like, I don't get why I want this so badly. I can't, I can't seem to, like, do the right thing. So he's coming going, I really want to, what do I need to do? And so Jesus, out of his compassion, out of his compassion, he says to him, well, if you would be perfect, if you want to be complete, if you want to, to be whole, he speaks right to the heart. Like, the understanding of this guy is like, I'm, I'm, a piece of me is missing. I'm struggling. I can't seem to get it. And he says, okay, if you, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, and then Jesus gives him, Here, here's your short list of what to do. He just says to him, he says, okay, go sell what you possess and give all to the poor. Go take all of your possessions, give it all, sell every single bit of it and give it to the poor. In fact, the Talmud of this day, the, the old laws actually had in place that you shouldn't give away more than 20%. Right? They had this, this rule, like a fifth is kind of, hey, whoa, this, this, that's too much. And Jesus is speaking right out of it. He says, no, no, give everything to the poor. And then he goes, and follow me. 
give, sell everything, give it away, then follow me. And right here we see the true motivation of this rich young ruler's heart. Right? Because what happens? Jesus answered. He didn't say, well, here, keep this one commandment. He didn't say, here, hey, you know what, here, just, just, you know, do a little bit more service projects and then you'll be there. No, he said, abandon everything. Give up on absolutely everything. And then he gives him this invitation. Now follow me. Join me in this right now. Follow me. And we know, if you've read the story, you know how it ends, right? Rich young ruler. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great wealth, great possessions. He had a lot of money. You see what happens? He comes to Jesus desiring to be whole, desiring to be complete and full, desiring to understand more of what it means to follow him and to get there, and he, and he leaves sadder. He leaves completely empty. Leaves saddened by the fact that he couldn't do what Jesus asked of him because of what? Because he had his hand in this jar and he wasn't willing to let go. He said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, you're asking an awful, awful lot of me. Now, I think there'd be two errors to this part of the text. I want to talk about this real quickly. Two errors. One error would be to assume that, that, that God is calling every single one of you to sell absolutely everything you have and give it to the poor and follow him. That's one error. I don't think this is a prescriptive text that says that. But I think another error is to assume that there aren't some of you that he is calling to do that. In fact, I, I think there's probably some of you in here that he's saying, no, you know what? These possessions, these things, because this is what he did to the rich young ruler. He said, you can do all this stuff all along, but your heart isn't in it. You're disconnected from it. You're not, you're not giving me all of you. So sell all that stuff and follow me. And here Jesus sits with all of you today. He says, come on. What, what, what do you hold on to? And I love that he skips to the, the, the texts that have to do with other people but then goes back to the fact that you shall have no other gods before him, right? He skips right over that. Well, what was his possessions? What was his wealth? It was a god. It was, it was more important to him than God. And so Jesus just cuts that. Now he goes on and says, and then Jesus said to his disciples, they're sitting right here, he says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty. So with it, very, very hard, it's going to be really hard, okay? That's what he's saying right here. Really, really hard will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to be clear. There, there isn't, we don't know what happens to this young ruler. We don't know whether he figures it out later on. We don't know if he sells everything. I like to, and this is totally me reading into it. There's no way to back this up, but I like to pretend that he's Joseph of Arimathea, right? Like later on, he's the one that gets Jesus' body into a tomb and gives it up. We have no actual great evidence to back that up, so don't, don't hang on that. But Joseph of Arimathea is a really great point of someone that was very wealthy that could follow Jesus. Zacchaeus, very wealthy, could follow Jesus. Barnabas, very wealthy, could follow Jesus. So it's not impossible. It's not impossible, but he's saying it's very, very hard. And then Jesus, I think, turns from this point. He, gets, he kind of cuts back to the very heart of everything, and it has, it has little to do with wealth in this idea, but it has everything to do with what you can do in getting into heaven or being a part of God's kingdom or being saved, depending on which way you do it. He goes on and says, again, I tell you, so as if it wasn't hard enough for a rich person, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so he goes on there, and some scholars have tried to 
well, there's a gate that was called out of the needle, and the camels were a little tall, and so they had to unload their load before they could go through it and tried to make an understanding. I think he's just, he's just making it a really, really, really a huge, huge, drastic exaggeration to make the point of how impossible it is for anyone to save themselves. It's impossible. He says, I, I don't know if you've seen a camel or a needle, but like, let's see how those go together. And what he's doing is he's saying, it's impossible. Do you realize that this rich young ruler, as he's left, he's probably missing this part of the, st- the, the, the teaching from Jesus. But he's turning to his disciples and he's telling them, like, look, it's impossible for a wealthy person to save themselves, but it's impossible for a poor person to save themselves too. It's impossible for a middle-class person to save themselves. You know, it says your salvation is impossible. In fact, the disciples pick up on this. I love it. The disciples pick up in... in um, in verse 25, they say when they heard this, they were greatly astonished. Like, what? How? Like, maybe even their astonishment is kind of going, well, if it's that hard, then are we really in? Like, am I in? Peter's probably asking that question. Like, Peter's like, man, I don't know. You know, it just depends on the week, what I say. Sometimes I feel like I'm in. Sometimes, I, you know, he's messing with it, wrestling. It says, this is astonished, saying that who then can be saved? If saving oneself is like getting a camel through a noodle, then or a needle, <laughs> noodle, <laughs> just as hard. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's if it's impossible, then how in the world am I going to get there? And Jesus says what I think is one of the most amazing things ever that we have as Christians hijacked to make it apply to every aspect of life. But I think it has mainly to do with salvation. He says those famous words. He's like, with man, it's impossible. You want to say, it's, it's absolutely impossible. Let me just say this very clearly. There is not enough things you can do to make yourself right with God. In fact, there's not even one thing you can do to make yourself right with God. This is impossible. Then he goes on and says, but with God, all things are possible. We love to use that for, you know, winning a football game or whatever else, right? And maybe, yeah, with God, everything is, impo- everything is possible, right? But the point of this text is with saving people, God is capable of saving anyone, wealthy, poor, arrogant, prideful, rapist, murderer. He can save anyone. With him, all things are possible. With him, all can have hope. So he says to the disciples, look, you missed it. Or you, you realize, like, it's not, it's not anything. This, this young ruler, he missed it. There's nothing he can do. There's nothing good he can do to save himself. In fact, the one thing he needed to do was to surrender himself completely to me. And that is what saves him. And he goes on. Then Peter said in reply, and I, I love Peter for this, but I don't know. Like, you kind of, I think his heart's good in this because Jesus doesn't really see, he, he acknowledges this question and answers it. Jesus said, or Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. <laughs> Yay, look at us. We did it. <laughs> We're following you. And so I think he's kind of like celebrating, like, yes, we did something right. Got it. All right. But then he asked this question, which to me, as a parent, I'm like, man, you know what? Like, what's your motivation? He says, what, what then will we get? <laughs> what do we have since we did that? What's in it for me, Jesus? Come on. But I don't think it's as hard. He's saying literally, like, we've left everything. Then what, what, what will we have? And Jesus goes on to this section of um, Scripture that's steeped in all different kinds of theology. But basically says, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, in the coming kingdom, in the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. A couple things about this text. First off, he's speaking, I think he's speaking directly to what these disciples are understanding where they're at right now. He's saying, my kingdom is coming, my kingdom is here, and you are a part of this. Now, there is some, some discussion that needs to happen in, in kind of the end times eschatology here, and we'll, we'll hit that later on. But basically saying, look, I'm going to sit on the throne, and there's thrones for you. Obviously, one of those was Judas, and he's out. So we get the new one in Acts 1, 26, right? So he'll be in there. But, but there's 12, and you're going to play a role in the new kingdom. But then he goes on and just comes into and says, but whoever is left in for my name's sake, their mother, their father, money, whoever's done that for me, their great is their reward too. And I, he says they'll get a hundredfold. Now, I, wanna, I don't think that's specific. I love my mom, but I don't want a hundred moms. I'm sorry. So I don't think that's a, a formula that you guys should be prepared for. But I think his point is he's saying, look, when you leave everything for me, when you, when you leave it all, for me, it's so much better. So that begs a question to us today. Take out rich young ruler and put in Bren. Your name. You come up to Jesus and say, What must what must I ha- what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus looks at you and he says, These are what you you know what you need to do. You love God, you love it. Okay, God, 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 God. But I, I I kind of feel like something's missing. You know what I think Jesus says to each one of us? He says, what's your hand on in the jar? He says, what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? And, and, and I, I get it. People don't like to talk about this in church. But my bet in this church and in every church and in general and all of us individuals, a lot of that has to do with Finances. A lot of that has to do with how we view money in our own life. And Jesus is saying, you need, to, you need to let go. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's relationships, or maybe it's, it's time, or maybe it's, it's something. We've used, I've used this analogy before where when we come to Jesus, it's like we have to put all of us on the table. Like we don't get to take and go, well, okay, you can have my time, and you can have my, my, you can have my marriage, and you can have my, my kids, but you can't have my money, you can't have my career, you can't have my reputation, you can't have my school. You can't have any of that stuff. And no, it's, it's, we're all on the table. We don't come to the table and kind of lean on and be like, well, I'm almost there, you know, kind of on it. The point is he doesn't want a half foot in, half foot out. And that's what this young ruler was missing, is that he, he believed that he could do enough good things and still have a God in his finances. And he would be there. In fact, he left saddened. And some of us in the room were the same way. We got a white knuckle grip. In fact, our hand's so hard in that, gel, in that jar that we're starting to like see it white out and like start, you know, we might lose the hand. We're holding on to it so hard. I can't, I can't give it up. I can't give it up, God. Don't ask for that. Like I know, I know, I know you want my boat or my jet ski, but God, I use those for your purposes, so why are you taking them? Right? We, we, we wave this line, right? It's like, well, obviously you can't be asking for that. And Jesus is saying, no, no, it has nothing to do with the boat or the jet skis, or the money. I want your heart. Do you get it? It has nothing to do with your house or how many zeros are after your pay, uh, the decimal point of your paycheck. I guess before the decimal point. Zeros afterwards, like, it's more like me, right? <laughs> Makes me feel like I'm richer. It goes longer. Just kidding. 
doesn't matter how many zeros you say. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with your heart. And here's the thing. If you aren't going to let go, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have an encounter with Jesus. You're going to walk away saddened. It's a serious thing. And I get it. I get it. Money and church are one of those things that people are like, it's like politics and religion and the rest of the world, right? But just because, just because maybe you've been faithful to give money to some nonprofit, whether it was a church or something else, and they have not stewarded that well, they have to give an account to God for that. You're not, you don't give so you can have control. You don't give so you can feel good about yourself. You give because you know that if you don't, and if you're honest with yourself, if you don't give, that line to the purpose of the jet ski and the value in it, that line, and I, like, there's nothing wrong with jet skis, guys. In fact, can I borrow someone's this summer? That'd be awesome. But the point is, is this, is that something in that gets in the way. I think this is why Jesus says it's so difficult. It's so difficult. It's so hard because here's the thing. Most of us, we don't even view ourselves as rich, right? They have statistically proven that you ask anyone at whatever income their level they want, they always want the next income level. Everyone's like, if I could just have a little bit more, I could have this, I could, and, and I think that's what Jesus is cutting to the core here. He's saying, look, this rich young ruler had a chance to give up everything and follow Jesus, and he would have had so much more value, so much more joy, so much more life in that than what he assumed with his hand in the jar. But he, for some reason, believed, just like some of us do, that if we keep holding on, sooner or later we're going to figure out how to pull it out. I can make this happen. In fact, we, a lot of us, believe today, just like they did in that day, that just because they're wealthy, God's blessing them. That's not true. That's not always true. Yeah, some of you make and do money well because God continues to bless you in that way, and you continue to give back to him all of it that is his. And there are people that can walk that line, and I think God has, has gifted them and loves that. He calls Every single one of us, do you get that? Every single one of us, whether you are a broke college student with more disposable income ever, right, or you have a six-figure income, every single one of us are called to give generously, to give hilariously. Why? Because if we don't, here's what happens. We encounter Jesus and we walk away sad. The core of it. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that giving up your money saves you. That's not what Jesus is saying either. What he's saying is giving up of yourself is what saves you. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, dying to self, right? Following him. That's, that's what he's calling us to. And for some reason, the rich young ruler wanted to hide behind religiousness while being wealthy. And some of us, we hide behind the same very things. So where are you? What is it in you? What are you holding on to and white knuckling? I, I want to speak about finances. I'm assuming some of it is finances. We, we, like I get it. Someone may have misused it in the past. We have a, an owner meeting today for all the owners of the church members. We're going to share like what the numbers are, where they go, so there's accountability in that. But again, it has nothing. To, that's not why you give. That's not why you give money to a church or any organization. Yeah, it helps that they're accountable. That's a wise thing to do, I think. But it's for your heart. Some of you, you've been giving for so long and so, so, so far away. We're going to talk about this because he talks about it in the, in the woes to the, the Pharisees. 
but you've been giving this certain amount. I've been giving this amount, and it's good to go, but you've never actually stopped and asked God, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You never once stopped and said, God, what do you want from me? This is, this is all yours. And I think every single one of us that follows Jesus in here would love to say that absolutely everything is his. It's all his. But we never once stopped and said, okay, God, of what's yours, what do you want me to do with it? No, we go to our plans. Well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. No, here you go, here's yours. And I'll, hey, oh, I'll be a little generous. Okay, great. But we never stop and ask God, well, what, what do you want from me? What do, you, what do you want from me so that I know and you know and we're in the same spot where we can have peace knowing that our heart is not wrapped up in our treasure because our treasure, other than our treasure in Christ alone. You never stop and ask. Some of you, you've just been assuming and this is, my heart breaks for you guys because I've been there. I've been there. You assume that giving anything to God is what you do as your second best or your second, your leftovers or your whatever else, whether it's money or time. You're so entitled, and I mean that in the most gracious and loving way possible, because I've been there. You assume that I, you know what, this is, I work hard for this, and I get this, and I want this, and I want this, and I'm not saying, there's maybe to be a perfect time in your life where God says, you know what, take your family on an expensive vacation, enjoy it, and relax, and take up the time. I'm not saying that you have to avoid all of that. What I'm saying is that we put more more stock in that than the actual thing for God's kingdom. And you've never sat once and said, God, here's, here's what you've entrusted with me. What do you want? And my, my, my belief is, is that the Spirit will, will say, will speak. He will speak to you. If you're faithful to ask God, he will, he will reveal to you what needs to come. And you will, you will do that. And here's the best spot. When you do that, you can, come to, you can come to the table and know that you're not holding your jar when it comes to finances. And then God can reveal something else that you have your hand in the jar with. Right? I, I love you, Jesus. I want to do this, but I can't. I can't let go of this porn. I must hold on to it all day long. He says, no, you're missing it. Like, these are things that I don't want you to hold on to. What the silly thing about holding on to any of this is that we assume they will bring freedom when the only way to have freedom is to let go. So, so where are you with this? What are your wrestlings? What's God speaking to you in this? Is he, is he calling you I heard a pastor say this one time, to a deeper level of faith. And maybe that plays out financially, and maybe that plays out in time, and maybe that plays out in relationships. It could be in anything, but he's saying, no, you, you want to know what you're lacking? Yeah, you do all these things, that's great. You want to know what you're lacking? There's still something that's holding on to your heart. You're still focused on something that isn't of me. And it's usually rooted in selfishness or pride Whatever it is, I'm telling you, what would Jesus say to you if you walked up and said, what, do I, what must I do? And he tells you to keep the commands. Okay, I did those. But, Bren, here's what you need to let go of. But one thing you lack, if you wish to be perfect, if you wish, if you wish to really, really see this through, it's time to let go of. And for a lot of you, that's, that's, that's money. That's finances. It's time to let go of that. There is no hope in money. None. Some of you, it's relationships. Some of it's your, your time. You're so selfish with your time. You schedule. You have to schedule time in with your kids because you're so selfish with your time. Oh, I better hang out with them this week. And God's saying, hey, 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 you've, you've missed it. And you want, you want to feel complete and whole, then you've got you to gotta just let go of whatever's in the jar and leave it there. Trust that I will do what needs to be done with it. 
and walk in freedom. It was compassion that compelled Jesus to answer this, and I believe the same for all of us. So if you're sitting here today and you know in your heart of hearts, you're like, man, I haven't ever asked God. I've just been kind of doing this. I've been on cruise control. I haven't really ever spent any time before the Lord on what he's asking of me. I challenge you. I encourage you. I plead with you. Sit before him and ask him. Search, search my heart, God. Search my heart because I don't, I don't want to go through the motions. There is, there is no value in pretending and going through the motions. None. But, but know this. When you ask this question of God, when you ask this question of Jesus, you know what he's not going to do? He's not going to come and go, well, it's about time you ask this question. I've been sick and tired of waiting on you. No, you know what he's going to do? He's going to answer in compassion. He's going to say, oh, oh, beloved son, beloved daughter. Oh, it's the best question to ask because here's, here's what's going on. Your heart, your heart, you haven't seen it, but it's slipped. It's drifted. It's drifted. And what you used to view as a means for the kingdom of God, you've started to make it as a means for the kingdom of me myself. And, and, and what I'm asking you to do is, is to give this back to my kingdom and watch and watch. And I think he says it with a smile because he's like, you know what's going to come next? Oh, oh I, I, can't even, I can't even begin to express a hundredfold of what you think right now. Whatever sacrifice you feel, trust me, it's, it's, it pales in the comparison to what comes in my kingdom. It, it pales. I think the problem is, is so many of us view so poorly the kingdom of God. We view more in this world than we do the kingdom of God. We show that the way we live our lives with our finances and our time. We have more value in that stuff than the God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who graciously sent his son to die on our plate, in our place so that we could be in a right relationship with him only to realize that everything we have is for his purpose and for his work. So wherever it may be for you, I, 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 Jesus is going to look at you and say, your, your hand's in the jar in this. Stop, stop holding on. And it's scary. Trust me, you're going to let go and think, oh, if I do that, who knows what will happen. You're right, but God is in control. In fact, with God, all things are possible, including the freedom of whatever you're struggling with in holding on. We're going to transition. The band's going to come, but we're going to do an offering. And I wanted to do the offering right after the sermon today. Not because, and I want to be clear on this, <clears throat> not because I hope a bunch of you are going, oh, man, I should probably give more, and I wanted to capitalize on that moment. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. In fact, the reason why I want to do this, I want to be really clear on this. First off, you don't give to anything for that purpose. So when you give to Rev, you're not giving so that I can have a paycheck and feed my kids. Although, yes, I do get a paycheck and feed my kids off of it. But that's not why you give. You don't give to a nonprofit to bring clean water to Africa. Yeah, that's good. It brings clean water to Africa. That's awesome. And keep giving that. That's amazing. But that's not why you give. The reason why you give is because God's, God has told you your heart is what matters most to him. And if you clutch the very things he's entrusted to you, your heart is not his. You are wrestling. You are in, in battle going, God, I, I want to follow you, but you're asking something. You're asking an awful lot. And so my, my challenge, my encouragement to all of you, whether, whether I, I am your pastor, you're just visiting, or you don't know Jesus, my challenge would be this. Seek God in it. 
Ask him. God, you know where I am. He's not confused or perplexed by your situation. He knows exactly how you got into the financial state you are in, whether it's good or horrific. And he knows what you've been doing with your finances. He's not shocked by that. He's not going to go, oh, whoa, Brent, you want to give a little bit more? I didn't. Crazy. You give because God says, I'm good. You give because God is good. You give because God is huge and beautiful and worthy of everything we have, not just a portion of what we have. He wants every single aspect of your life. You say, you know what, God, it's yours, all of it. And for some of you, I want to say right now, some of you, you shouldn't give today because giving has become such a standard of, of just this over and over again, I just do this because this is what I'm doing. There's no cheer. There's no joy in it. There's no value in it. You've, you've lost what God's calling you to do. And I would challenge you to sit in that and say, God, what do you want from me? Some of you, you've been, you've been faithless in your finances. And, I, and God knows that. And so for you, it's, God, here you go. Here's everything. And it's not it's not a one-time thing. It's not a, a weekly thing. It's not, it's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you do it, whether you give online or you do it. It doesn't matter about the, the, the means. It's the heart behind what you're doing. And that's, that's what happens when we encounter Jesus and he asks us of something. We have two options, surrender or to walk away saddened. So when it comes to your finances, are you surrendered? And maybe you are, and that's great. Praise God. Know that, that God is moving in you and, I, and, and he's, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant when it comes to that. And if you're not and you're struggling with that and you really, really want, desire it, I encourage you. We don't, I don't check on the numbers. I don't do any of that stuff. But I encourage you, write on the communication card. I don't, know how, I don't know how to make this a discipline that's healthy. I don't know what to do. I don't trust what you guys do with the money or whatever. Maybe. Put it out there. Put it out there and let us walk with you in this because here's, here's the thing. I, as a pastor, I am terrified by the idea that I have to give an account to how people are led. And one of the areas that I know, I know that so many of us struggle with over and over and over again is finances. And, and my, my, my fear is that a number of you out there are sitting right now and you're sitting there going, I got X dollars or $10 or a billion dollars, whatever it may be, and you're going, but I can't give it up. My fear is that you are, you are the rich young ruler where Jesus is saying, no, 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 come, come on. Follow me in this. Like, he may not even ask you to get rid of all of you. He's just saying, just follow me in it. Let, let me lead you in this. My fear is, is that there's a number of us that are, that are running around here justifying our reason to not be generous with that which is not ours. My fear is that you're going you're gonna to miss it. You're going to miss the whole thing. You're that monkey with the hand in the jar, and you've got a thousand reasons to keep the hand in the jar, and the one good reason to get out is, is Jesus. One good reason to let go is Jesus Christ, and that's it. So let me pray. We're going to pass the offering. God, thank you for... Thank you for entrusting um, us with aspects of what you're doing in your kingdom. And some of that maybe um, is finances. God, thank you for entrusting us with finances, even though you own, you own it all. You've graciously given to us so that we can supply our needs. We can, we can be generous. We can give to your kingdom purposes. And so, God, I pray that our hearts would be aligned with your spirit. God, for those in the room that, that haven't ever asked you, God, show up. I pray that you show up in a mighty way as they ask you, what does it mean to be faithful with what you've entrusted? God, that for those that, 
have so much bitterness or anger or resentment or feistiness or hurt behind dollars and money and when it works to the church or, or any other nonprofit, God, I pray that you would you'd wreak havoc on their hearts. You'd have helped them to know that it has nothing to do with money and everything to do with their heart. God, for, for, the, for the many that are, that are faithful, that are striving to see you work in a mighty way, God, would you show a bit more of your kingdom in their life today? Would you show a bit more of what it means to live because of you? God, for those of us that are holding on to something, whether it's whether it is finances like the rich young ruler or it is our time or our, our reputation or whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would you give us the strength to surrender to your spirit in that and just be free from it. God, there are so many, so many people that are walking around saddened because they leave encounters with you where you've called them to a deeper faith and their fear has led them to believe that that's not worth doing. God, would you restore, would you redeem? Would you remind all of us that you are in control, that you love? I pray for a breakthrough. I pray for those that have been immensely faithful when it comes to finances. I pray for those that have encountered you and you've said, I want you to give this, and they've given it faithfully. God, I pray that you do. I pray that you do show them um, more of what it means to walk in that freedom. And God, for, for those of us that continue to hold on to something, God, I pray, break free pray that you help us to open our hands. Proud this in Jesus' name. Amen.